Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. It's my privilege to get to share the message with you guys this morning. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like preaching is one of those things. If, if, uh, how many of you guys, there's like, they have all these different identified fears. People have like fear of public speaking. Anybody would say, if I were to put a mic in your hand and ask you to come stand in front of the, the room, how many of you guys would, would not appreciate that? Right? Okay. Good. I'm glad you showed me your hands. You will be challenged later on today. No, not really. I won't do that to you. Um, but it's funny because like uh, this last uh, spring, we took our kids and we went to Florida and visited uh, three different theme parks. And uh, some of these rides that you get on are very intense and really scary. And uh, my son and I waited in this line for this roller coaster at Universal Studios called the Velocicoaster. And it did this huge drop. And you have to wait in line for over an hour to get on this ride. And you're anticipating the ride. And, but when I was a kid, I was scared to death of big rides, like roller coasters and stuff like that. Because I was convinced I, if I got on that ride, I would die. And, uh, and so the way I've learned to overcome that is, is I watch the people get off the ride in front of me. And I say, well, if they lived, I'm going to live too. Praise the Lord. And... And so sometimes you get up there and you wait in the line and you wait in the line and you feel the intensity of that you're about to get on the ride and, uh, you know, the last couple of cars go by and you know in a couple of minutes you're getting ready to get on this ride and your heart's racing and there's this part where you just feel like, I don't know, I don't know. And a number of times I've watched people wait in that entire line only to get on the card and step right off and go, I'm not riding that thing. And sometimes preaching's like that. You're like, I'm looking forward to preaching. You get a message ready, and then you're like, ah, maybe, I don't know. I think I'm going to have Roy Smith preach for me today. Roy, do you want to preach for me today? <laughs> anyway, anyway, I'm, it's actually it's an honor. I enjoy this. This is probably one of the rewards. You know, you do a lot of things, and, and uh, it's a privilege to get to speak. And so let's look at um, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. We're going to, the main text is going to be verses 1 through 11. We're going to make some observations and comments about it and uh, trust that the Lord's going to encourage our hearts with this message. So beginning in verse 1, Mark chapter 2, verse 1, when he had come back, speaking of Jesus, to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door, and he was speaking the word to them. How many of you guys would like to, you know, Jesus to be the preacher in church today, huh? And you guys are like, that'd be way better than Scott. So he is speaking the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk. 
but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up and pick up your pallet and go home. How many of you guys think that's just an amazing story in the Gospels? And uh, you, there's so many great things that we can draw from this story. And uh, several years ago, in 2017, I had the opportunity, I was able to tour Israel, and we went to Capernaum. And uh, there's a lot of artifacts and ruins there. And so many of the stories of the Gospels actually happen here. It's a little town on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee, and the west-northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. And many, many miracles happen here. This was like uh, Jesus was home, so this was his home base of ministry. So in the Gospels, when you read about Jesus going to different regions, he was being, really, he was sent out from Capernaum. This was like headquarters for the, you know, the ministry offices of Jesus, if I can say it that way. And while he was there, you know, sometimes you think you're going to go home and just relax and take a break, but Jesus was about, we know as we read the Gospels, he was consistently about his father's business. He was doing the work of the kingdom, he was preaching the word, and he was sharing with people, and, and this was common and, uh, in the ministry of Jesus. There was crowds forming and things were going on, and this day, it was unusual that somebody had taken such great lengths to get their friend in front of Jesus to be healed. And uh, there's so much that we can draw from this story, but one of the things I want to think about, just put yourself uh, in the, you know, the shoes, so to speak, of the paralytic, and think about the day that they were having. They woke up that morning, the guy woke up that morning, and his condition was what it had been for years before. He couldn't walk. Very, you know, despairing life. Couldn't work for himself. Was totally dependent on other people to care for him. And how many of you guys, you don't like it when people have to care for you? How many of you would rather? I'd much rather take care of myself. Denise like got two hands in the air. She's like, I don't like it. I want to do this on my own. I don't want this. And it's so humbling. It's such a hard place to be dependent on other people. And this paralytic certainly found himself in this situation. And his friends, I've, I've seen so many different aspects of this story. One of the thoughts that I, I had about this story was that the guys who were carrying around their friend were probably a little tired of carrying their friend around. Can we just be honest about it? You know, how many of you guys like carrying your friend around sometimes can be a little bit of a hassle? And the guys are like, you know, if Jesus is in town, this is our chance to quit carrying our friend around. If Jesus heals him, we can go do something else besides carry you around. That might sound insensitive or whatever, and maybe they didn't think that way. But if I was carrying somebody around for a long time, there would probably be a little bit of a temptation to go, come on. Am I the only one? You guys are like, Scott, you're so insensitive. I'm just being honest, okay? The Lord already knows. So anyway, so he has this incredible encounter with Jesus. And I would say this was probably for the paralytic. After the events of what took place, this was the best day ever. Have you ever had the best day ever? You have an experience or something happens and it just was good. And then you have another experience and it even got better. And how many would say, I could use a few more of those types of days in my life, right? Best day ever. For the paralytic has an incredible experience with the Lord now I think it's interesting I I think one of the things that we need to see about the heart of God for people when we read this story is the Lord far more concerned than Scott is about people God loves people through and through he cares deeply about them 
So much so, he actually wants to restore dignity to their lives. Like consistently in the Gospels, when Jesus is, whether it's someone who's demonized and they need deliverance from demonic possession or oppression in their life, when the Lord looks at them, he, you know, obviously there's a power. The power of God is greater than the power of Satan by far. It's unmatched. The power of God's unmatched. But at the end of the day, the Lord looks at somebody who's bound with sickness or oppression and he cares for them. And he sees them as someone who's created in his very own image. In the image of God, every human being is created. And he looks at them with tremendous compassion. And he says, man, I've got so much better for you than what you are experiencing right now. Your life has been devalued because of your circumstances or because of what's happened to you. And you know, the Lord wants to add value to people's lives. You might say, really? I actually believe that. You know, when you appreciate something or a house appreciates, what happens? It's the value increases, right? When you appreciate a relationship with somebody, the value of that relationship increases in your life. The Lord looks at his creation. He has an encounter with this paralytic, and he appreciates the person enough to do something about the condition that he's in. And he cares deeply for them. And there's a verse in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. I'm going to offer a little bit of an uh, interpretation of this verse as it relates to the story of the paralytic. But it says this, speaking of Jesus, Hebrews 2.10. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory. I want to focus on that phrase. In bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through suffering. So this verse is speaking about what Jesus had to go through for the redemption of mankind. And the, the phrase that's used there in Hebrews 2.10 says that to bring many sons, we can also say daughters, to bring many to the experience of the glory of God in their lives. And that experience, in part, means having dignity or value added to your life so this paralytic who was lowered through the roof of his friends who had faith we're not even sure that the paralytic really had any faith but we know the friends when the bible says when jesus saw their faith after they laid the man at the feet of jesus says to the man this is interesting son your sins are forgiven I was like, I, nobody said anything about, we want to bring this guy to Jesus so his sins are forgiven. Now, I don't think that was the goal. I think when they brought the paralytic to Jesus, it was to be healed. And so Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. And so I'm imagining the paralytic laying on his mats or whatever it was that he was on. And Jesus says this thing to him. He's like, your sins are forgiven. And it was like, I wasn't even thinking this way. I just wanted to get better. Have you ever had an experience with the Lord where you thought you needed one thing and God made it abundantly clear you needed something else? Have you ever had those types of experiences in your life, right? You know, marriage is kind of one of those things. Sometimes it's like, I think this is what needs to happen. And years ago, um, I had gone through a, I've been through a few ministry train wrecks over the year. Okay, train wrecks are bad. Train wrecks, there's a lot of carnage, right? Cars leave the tracks. It's not pretty. And uh, we, I, I had been in ministry. I'd gone to work uh, for a ministry called Teen Challenge. And uh, we were part of a church in Wasilla. 
And uh, the director of the Teen Challenge program, who's a good friend of mine, his name was Rick Tomasino, is Rick Tomasino. He's still a good friend of mine to this day. But our home church was starting to go through some stuff. There was some dysfunction in our church. They were, you know, churches are notorious for dysfunction. Can we just be honest? Right? Can we just be honest? Don't look at me like that. It's true. We, church, you know why churches go through dysfunction? It's people. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's people. There's issues. We live in a broken, fallen world. And so our, our church was going through something, and uh, there was a transition. There were some people leaving. There was going to be a change in leadership, and it was not a joyous time for many of us. And my, my, my boss at Teen Challenge, Rick Tomasino, he and I did not see eye to eye on the way things were playing out in the church. He had one perspective, and I had an entirely different perspective of what was going on. Uh, ultimately, uh, we had to make a decision at that point because we were in disagreement that we ended up parting ways. So I ended up stepping down from the ministry of that I was involved with at Teen Challenge, which for me was a very big disappointment because my experience at Teen Challenge was as a discipleship program for men that are coming out of a lifestyle of addiction and drugs and drug and alcohol abuse. And this is, the Lord had clearly called me to be a part of this ministry. And it was kind of, it was an amazing experience. I saw the Lord do so much restoration and healing in people's lives. It was incredible. And so when this unfortunate circumstance played out with my friend and I decided I, we are not in agreement and we're going to have to part ways, it was really, really hard for me. And uh, our relationship suffered greatly because of it. So much so that when I would be out in the community and I would be at the grocery store and I would see my friend come into the grocery store, I would go to a different aisle so I would not see him in the store. Have you guys ever walked in that level of dysfunction? Can we just be honest? No, nobody's like, thank you, Deneva. Be healed in the name of Jesus. And so, so... In, in that, and so, and it was, in my wife, I, I, I say all this to tag back to what I talked about, how marriage, the Lord works through our marriage um, relationship with our spouses, is my wife had been encouraging me over and over. She said, Scott, you need to sit down with Rick, and you guys need to kind of talk through this, and there needs to be some forgiveness mutually of one another. There needs to be some restoration, and I didn't want to hear it. I'm like, nope, I'm going to hold on to my pride. I'm right, he's wrong. How many of you guys have ever been that way? Thank you. Oh, the grace of God's going to come. We're becoming more humble as the service goes along. This is great. And so, so anyway, we, we, uh, my wife for months had been encouraging me, Scott, I know this is not good for you. You are not in a good spot because of the brokenness of your relationship with your friend. And uh, several months had gone by, and I was not listening to my wife. I wasn't having it, you know. And I have learned over the years, there's some key phrases that will go a long way in your marriage. One is, yes, dear. <laughs> yes, dear. You're probably right, dear. Turn to your spouse, if your spouse is with you, and say, you're probably right. <laughs> and so, but... But in, in all of that saying, and so my wife had been encouraging me over and over, and I did not listen to my wife because I wanted to hold on to my pride. I wanted to hold on to unforgiveness in my life. And then uh, kind of randomly, this gal in the church 
who we knew, she was a godly Christian woman who loved the Lord. She was very serious about her relationship with the Lord, but she was also a joyful person and was an encourager. She would share scripture with you, and just one of those people that you like to have around. And uh, she called me up one day and had said to, or she called Rachel, hey, I feel like I need to meet with you and Scott. And, and so she calls us up, and we go out and visit her. She lived out in Big Lake, and so we go to her house, and we go and visit her, and we're talking to her, and we kind of go through the small talk, and we're talking for a little bit. And she looks, her name's Linda. She's since uh, been promoted. She's with the Lord now. She's passed away, but her name's Linda. And she looks at me, and she says, Scott, I can't shake this, but I really feel like you need to sit down and have a talk with Rick Tomasino. And I'm like, and Rachel's like, she gave me that, like she got whiplash, her head turned so quick. She's like, I told you so. And so that was like, I'm like, okay, my wife's been trying to tell me this. Now a good friend in the church who is a little bit, a, a, a little bit aware of the situation is recognizing something and is probably being led by the spirit of God in this situation. I'm like, I don't want to have a third person tell me I need to go talk to this person. I probably just need to humble myself and set up a time to meet with this person. So anyway, I, uh, I go and uh, I set up an appointment and I go and on his turf, I was like, can we meet somewhere neutral? But I ended up going on his turf and uh, we have the meeting and we talk and we just shared, uh, you know, some of the places where we probably didn't handle things well in the middle of the conflict. And there was a place of forgiveness. There was a place of healing that took place. And that happened over 25 years ago. And to this day, Rick Tomasino is probably one of my best friends in the world. And we were able to walk through this place of, of uh, needing mutual, needing forgiveness of one another in relationship. And if I had held on to my pride and wasn't willing to humble myself, and the same for him, we probably would have lost out on the benefit of that relationship. And that relationship has added value to my life. I have benefited from my friend. My friend, we talk on the phone a couple of times a week, and we are honest, and we're talking about what's going on. And he just this last week, he prayed for me. He said, hey, can I pray for you? I'm like, you bet, man, I need it. And so he prays for me on the phone, and I just so appreciate that. And it, it's meant so much to me in that place, but it's added value to my life. You know, when the Lord encounters the man, the paralytic, he wants to add value to his life, and he sees there's something hindering him. It's sin. Sin hinders all of us in our lives. And so rather than going straight to the healing, Jesus looks at the man and says, son, your sins are forgiven. The religious leaders are like, you can't say that. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus, we know the story. We just read it. But Jesus, he says, but I, I, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say to the paralytic, take up your mat and walk. Let me ask you a question. Which is easier to say? For Jesus, which was easier to say? Jesus was going to, in a few short years, was going to go die on the cross for those sins that he was willing to forgive this person for, right? He was going to pay the ultimate price. For, for Jesus, which was easier? It was by far easier for him to say to the paralytic, take up your mat and walk, than it was to say, son, your sins are forgiven. Do you know, Jesus, the beauty of forgiveness in our life is the fact that we can't earn forgiveness. We can't do enough good to make up for the tremendous amount of wrong that we've done. And the Lord looks at us. He says, I'm giving you an invitation. I want to invite you into forgiveness. 
I want to invite you into restoration. And ultimately, I want to invite you into healing. And I think it's interesting, after Jesus says to the man, son, your sins are forgiven, it's after that he's actually able to get up and walk. And you know, we really can't go anywhere in life and live out God's plan and purpose for our lives uh, until our relationship with God is restored. We can't really walk out our destiny. And for that paralytic, I'm sure, you know, I don't know how long he lived after that before he got promoted and went to go be with the Lord for eternity, but I'm sure he looked back on that moment and that glorious day over and over in his life. He's like, I, you know, he knew he didn't deserve it. He knew he was a sinful person, but he had experienced God's forgiveness. You know, I don't think Jesus got the memo when you see somebody who's laid up It'd be like Deneva. She's sitting back there struggling in pain. And I go to Deneva. I'm like, Deneva, your sins are forgiven. And she's like, don't talk to me about that. Scott, that's so insensitive. But Jesus saw the need of this man's soul in his heart, and he speaks to that. How many of you are willing to allow the Lord to say things that might make you a little bit uncomfortable, but things that you need to hear from him? Are you guys willing for that? Are you open to that? You know, and just say, Lord, whatever you need to speak to me, say it. I need it. I need, because Jesus, we know in the Gospels, it says over and over, he has the words of life. We need his word of life spoken to us. And this is really, really important. When you think about the Gospel message and all that it includes, I was listening to a, uh, a teaching, I read an article by John Piper this week. He's a theologian. And he says, if the gospel does not sound too good to be true to you, then you're not hearing the gospel. And what he says, and what he's meaning by this, is the gospel, you know, we tell people, our counsel is, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably isn't a good thing. You know, have you ever had that? You've ever had a marketing guy come to you, and they present something to you, and it's like, ah, that sounds too, I, a couple years ago, I was out of state, and um, I ran into a marketing guy at a department store, and he convinced me I needed to upgrade my phone, and I was going to get this discount, da-da-da-da, and I'm like, ah, I usually I'm really good about resisting these things, but it was so good, I'm like, I can't, this is a good deal, and uh, so I moved in and signed the paperwork, and I did the deal, and you know what? It was too good to be true. That thing never worked out for me. I spent hours on the phone trying to sort this thing out, and it just was such a big frustration to me, but the gospel isn't like that. God keeps his word. And when I say the gospel's too good to be true, it's legitimate. I'm not, I'm not, you know, saying the gospel isn't true, but it's such an amazing deal, it should blow our minds. The paralytic that day, his mind had to have been blown. I mean, he experienced forgiveness and healing. It was like two for Tuesday for him. It was an amazing, amazing experience. The glory of forgiveness is something that we need to consider and we need to walk out and receive in our lives. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 1:18, speaking for the Lord, he says this: Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are, are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. Isaiah 61:7 says this: Instead of your shame, you will have a double portion. And instead of humiliation, they will shout for joy over their portion. Therefore, they will possess a double portion in their land. Everlasting joy will be theirs. You know, one of the things that sin does in our lives, and there's certain sins that we kind of 
you know, categorized, that there's the sins that are socially acceptable and some that are definitely not acceptable. But you know, um, it was sin that caused Jesus to have to die on the cross. So when we categorize sin, we're, we're not thinking of sin properly. Scripture teaches that the wages of sin is death. And so the Lord sees that and he, he, he provides Christ as the uh, sacrificial lamb to die in our place and he wants to make a deal. See, God's Jewish. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's Jewish. I have Jewish blood, so I can say this and not be considered I'm crossing some boundary somewhere. But being a good Jewish guy, he wants to make a deal. And uh, that's what I was looking for. I was looking for a good deal when I was at the store and that guy was trying to sell me the phone. And uh, the Lord says, I want to make a deal with you. And he says, uh, let's reason together. Let's work something out. And when he says, let's work something out, He's like, hey, though your sins are scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. And we're like, that's too good to be true. That's too good to be true. And the Lord says, that's exactly what I want to do for you. I want to forgive you. I want to erase and delete the shame of your past. I want to address the thing that has hindered your relationship with me. And I want you to experience dignity in your life again, in the fullness of my plan and your purpose my purpose for your life. Psalm 32, one says this, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Are there any blessed people in this room? I'm blessed, you guys. I'm not because I'm so good, but I am deeply blessed because of what Jesus did for me. I am blessed. He has changed my life. He has forgiven me of my sin. I deserve hell i deserve hell because of the life i lived because i sinned i offended god the way i lived my life i was my own god i lived according to my own rules and on my own terms i didn't think of god and because of that my relationship with him was broken and the lord says i've got a deal for you scott i've got a deal if you will put your faith in the son of god and you repent of your sins i'll forgive you I've paid the price. I've paid the price for you. And it's like, really? Really? And you know, when I first became a Christian, I was scared of hell. I didn't want to go to hell. And that's a good thing. Nobody should want to go to hell. And God loved me. And he said, Scott, I got a deal for you. And he put people in my life. And he made sure over and over that I knew that he was reaching out to me. Everywhere I went, when I was in the military, consistently God put people in my life to reach out to me to get my attention and it was not comfortable and people were talking about things I did not want to talk about but somehow through the 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 fog of all that was taking place I heard the Lord speaking to me and he was reaching out to me and said Scott you need your sins forgiven you need your sins forgiven I want to restore you I want to add dignity and value to your life, and I will be eternally grateful for what God's done for me. He saved me from a Christless eternity, and he's offered the same to all of us in this room. He cares deeply for us, and he wants to add value to our life. So when I think about my sin and my past, I don't live in the past. I don't feel like the Lord wants me to come to him and grovel as I approach him. I know I'm a broken person. I've got issues in my life. I've got things that I'm working on in my life. But Hebrews 4 says that we can confidently, confidently approach the throne of grace. How many of us, we, we lack that confidence sometimes in coming before the Lord? God wants us to hold our head up as we look at our Heavenly Father and say, Daddy, 
I need your help. I'm struggling right now. And that we would possess that level of confidence in our own soul as we approach the Lord. It's not confidence in our own ability, our own goodness. God knows that's not the case. But my confidence is in the shed blood of Christ on the cross for my sins. My confidence is in Jesus' blood and his righteousness alone. And that's the way we need to look at it. And the Lord wants us to understand that and draw from the full benefits that we are a forgiven people. We can live like a forgiven people as we forgive other people. It's the ultimate injustice in the sight of God for us to bank on, if I can use the term that way, our eternal salvation that God would forgive us our sins and that we would hold unforgiveness in our heart against another person. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Keep short accounts. Keep short accounts. Live that way. Live that, live that life of freedom. Forgiveness, if you want to understand the term a little bit better, what it means to be forgiven, it's not saying they didn't do anything wrong. That couldn't be further from the truth. We did wrong. People wrong us. We wrong other people. But forgiveness is saying, I am not going to hold that against them anymore. That's what forgiveness is. I'm going to love that person, and I'm not going to hold it against them. I'm not saying it's okay, but I'm not going to hold it against them anymore. How could anyone stand before the Lord if he held even one of our sins against us? We couldn't, but he forgives us. Great verse in Scripture, Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to walk around and carry the weight of condemnation in our lives. Isn't that good news? If you kind of came in a little grumpy today, you should leave church a little less grumpy when you think about that. John chapter 20, verse 23 says this, if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. This is what Jesus said to us. I don't want to retain anybody's sins. I want to forgive people. I have struggled in my life, and I would suspect there's a handful of people in the room here today not that I know, I'm, not, I just, I'm just assuming because of human nature and our tendencies, that some people are stuffers. Do you know what it means to be a stuffer? You don't talk about what's going on, but you stew inside. How many of you guys like to stew? Right? Stew's not good for you. Okay? And, and you stew, and you don't deal with the issues of your heart. Like, I wasn't dealing with the issue of my heart with my friend, and I was bitter. And I don't want to be a bitter person. I don't want to grow into an old, bitter person. I would much rather be a joyful old person. You know what I mean? How many of you guys, no one, no one plans, no one says, I think I want to be bitter for the rest of my life. I don't think people plan that way, but it happens more often than you realize. And we have to realize that a lot of that bitterness is that sense of unfulfilled revenge. I just want to get that person back for what they did to me. I want to wait for the perfect opportunity and I'm going to get them. I'm going to say something. I'm going to show them that I'm better than them. I'm going to one-up them, whatever it is. And we need to let go of that. We need to forgive people. Don't hold on to it. Commit them to the Lord. Pray for them and live with a free heart so that we don't retain the sins of other people, but we forgive them. Keep short accounts. If you struggle with forgiving people, just think of what the Lord has done for you and that he forgave you. Just look at the cross. Look at the cross. It's a lot easier for me to forgive other people when I think of what Jesus did for me. And the Lord wants us to live that way. It's super important. 
I'm going to close with this quote by John Bevere. He's a Bible teacher, well-respected in our nation, and uh, I saw he had posted something, and so John Bevere quoted this uh, earlier this week, I think, or a couple weeks ago. He says this, Forgiveness, no other virtue requires such a great sacrifice of self. It is a conscious choice of vulnerability instead of vindication. By choosing forgiveness, we refuse to worship our feelings. You may think the walls that you've built around your heart will protect you, but self-preservation often leads to selfishness, and eventually our hearts turn to stone. And our lives, marked by indifference towards others, the walls we carefully constructed have struck the one thing we all crave, love. And without his love, God's love, our lives will be devoid of purpose and power. I don't know who needs to hear this today, but in the sacrifice of self, in the act of forgiveness, you will find God's embrace. And by forgiving others, you create the opportunity for them to recognize and receive God's invitation to be reshaped. You release them into God's hands. So the purpose of my message today was twofold. The first purpose was for us to hopefully understand a little bit better the significance of the forgiveness that you and I have received in Christ. And it's very significant. I think we'll spend the first many years in heaven in glory with the Lord just thanking God for the richness of his forgiveness towards us. And his forgiveness cost him everything. And it's that valuable and it's that glorious. So that was the first point. The second point of my message was just the need for you and I to walk in forgiveness towards other people. So I just want to invite you, just over the next minute or two, I want to invite you to your feet, and I want us to maybe do a little bit of business with the Lord. Maybe you find yourself in that first area you've not ever really considered or received the Lord's forgiveness in your life. I imagine the paralytic, when Jesus spoke to him, And he said, son, your sins are forgiven. I imagine in a moment, it was a sobering experience for him. But then I believe the Lord looked at him after that with a smile on his face because he wanted to see this guy's life restored and dignity added to it. And maybe you've not received the forgiveness of the Lord in your life. And it's really very simple to do. You you need to open your heart and receive it. And the most practical I believe best way to do it is to open your heart and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Scripture teaches that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Lord's desire is for you to receive Jesus and believe in him. Believe that he died in your place. He took the punishment upon himself for your sins He was crucified, he was dead, and he was buried in the grave for three days. And on the third day, he was resurrected. Now, if you believe that message and you are willing to surrender your life, you can experience the fullness of God's forgiveness for you. And so I want to encourage you, if that's you, I'd like to pray with you after service today. You can come and talk to me. For others, it might be that I struck a chord when I spoke about forgiving other people. And you may have the argument, you don't know what they did. 
And I don't know what they did, but God knows what they did, and he sent Jesus to die on the cross for their sins. It's in your best interest to forgive those people. And so if you're here, and you need to do some business with God, and you need to forgive somebody, just between you and the Lord, I want you to just, by faith, say, God, I forgive them. I'm not going to hold this against them. And then you, when those feelings come back, and you feel that bitterness or that surge of unforgiveness, forgive them again and pray for them. And maybe the Lord wants you to go talk to them. I don't know. Let God guide you that way. But if you need to forgive somebody, don't go to bed tonight without doing that in your heart. Get on your knees before the Lord, maybe when you're at home, maybe right now, to speak their name. Say, God, I forgive this person. I forgive them. I place them in your hands. Lord, you love them, help them, and help me to be a forgiving person. In Jesus' name, amen.